front of you. Uh, there's going to be a bunch of Bible verses that will come up and they'll come up on the screen, most of them. So you might just want to copy down what the reference is and you can look that passage up later on. Uh, but we're going to pray first. Let's do that together. Father, thank you again that you have shown your extraordinary grace to us through your son, Jesus. We know that there's not a person in this room who is deserving of it, but you have shown it to us anyway. And we want to thank you that we have life and hope and forgiveness through your son. And we want to pray that you would help us now as we think about how it is that we work as a church, what it is that we're here for, what our core business is. We pray that you'll help us to understand it better and to want to live in light of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Most companies today still produce a mission statement, a statement that's a concise summary of why that organisation exists, what it is that they are attempting to do. Let me give you a couple of examples. Coca-Cola, to refresh the world. This is taken from the Coca-Cola website. I'm not making this stuff up. Uh, to inspire moments of optimism and happiness, to create value and make a difference. Think about that next time you're rotting your teeth with some Coca-Cola. That's what their mission is. That's what they're attempting to do. Uh, McDonald's, this is their mission. McDonald's brand mission is to be our customers' favourite place and way to eat and drink. Exceptional customer experience. People, products, place, price, promotion. We are committed to continuously improving our operations and enhancing our customers' experience. Google says that they want to do this. Google's mission is to organise the world's information. I can't even sort out my sock drawer. Yet Google think that they're going to be able to organise the information for the entire world. Mission statements are designed to say what the main aim or the focus of that particular organisation is, what it's attempting to do, and visions are always big. Uh, you look at these things and it seems crazy that they're attempting to do that. I mean, it just seems way beyond reach, but they shoot for big things. Now, if you had to come up with the mission statement for the church, or more specifically, the mission statement for Salt Church... What would you want to say that it was? We've been looking at what the church exists for and we've seen that the church is God's people who are called. The church is not a building. It's not a ritual that you participate in. It's not a performance that you attend. The church is the people of God called together through God's word, through the preaching of the gospel and continually being shaped together by God's word. The church is God's people serving one another working together to serve the world. But what's the core business of the church? What's the main reason that the church exists? What would you want to say was the mission statement from, for the church? In the military, apparently they say that the final order is the one that the soldiers need to listen to. No matter what other orders have been given, it's the final orders that you need to put into practice. And there's a sense in which uh, Jesus gives two final orders before he ascends to heaven. Uh, we see one in the Gospels and one in the book of Acts, but essentially they're the same order. I think Jesus is abundantly clear what it is that he wants his disciples to do, what their core business ought to be. So this is what we read in Matthew's Gospel. 
Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Make more disciples. That's what Jesus tells them there to do. The followers of Jesus are to go to the nations and help them to trust And to follow Jesus. And Jesus assures them that he will be with them. Now the last time that Jesus speaks, or the last time that we know of from the pages of the scriptures, is in the book of Acts. Uh, And and he tells them what it is that that they need to be doing. Because there's a bit of a misunderstanding on their part. They're wondering whether or not the kingdom has finally come. And uh, there's this confusion in the minds of the disciples as to whether or not this is this it, because it didn't kind of seem like it to them. But Jesus says this, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I mean, it shows that the disciples didn't still quite get what it was that Jesus was here to do. They didn't quite understand the kingdom that Jesus was looking to establish. They seemed to think that re-establishing the kingdom in Israel was going to be a a great thing, that that's what Jesus was hopefully going to do. Retake David's throne and reinstate that kingdom. But Jesus has got something much bigger in mind. Jesus is saying to them, you don't get it, do you? My kingdom will be way bigger than Israel. My kingdom's going to be global. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and right to the very ends of the earth. And did you notice what he says there? He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit will enable them to be witnesses. That final command comes from Jesus. And there's the core business for his disciples, to bear witness to Jesus, to bear witness with the lives that they live and to bear witness by sharing the good news of Jesus, of life and forgiveness and hope that comes through him. And the rest of the New Testament seems to back this up. Paul's in absolutely no doubt about what the core business is. It's telling people about Jesus. Here's a couple of passages from 2 Corinthians. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade people. Because we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to encourage others to trust in Jesus as well. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. It's a pretty simple connection there, isn't it? I think everyone's able to see it. As people who've been reconciled to God, we now have the task of helping others to be reconciled to God. That's the core business of the church right there. That's what God has called us to do. That's why the church exists. 
and I think it kind of begs the question, is that all that the church does? Is that all that the church is on about? Well, the answer is yes and no. I mean, yes, that's the core business. That's the very centre of the existence of the church. That's supposed to be what we're on about. That's got to be the heart of who we are. I mentioned yesterday the All Blacks team. What does this team exist for? For one reason, to play rugby. That's, I mean, that's their core business. That's why they, they get dressed up like that. That's their core business. If they stopped playing rugby, they would cease to exist as an organisation. Is that the only thing that they do? Absolutely not. They'll do lots of other things, some that are directly related to the core business and some that are sort of a little bit further out. There will be training, they will spend time in the gym, there will be dinners and fan days, they'll do charity work, they'll go and visit hospitals and schools, there'll be social functions that they're a part of. But their core business is to play rugby. And the other things that they do, in a sense, will be related to the core business, but may not necessarily look exactly like the core business. And the same is true for the church. The church is made up of a whole range of people, and what we need to do is be committed to that core business, but churches will also be involved in other things as well. There will be Bible study groups and women's groups and men's groups and kid clubs and youth groups and there'll be teaching scripture classes and there will be pastoral care and there'll be running marriage courses. There'll be a whole lot of things that the church will do that feeds into that core business, that's related to that core business. But let me go back to 2 Corinthians for a minute, the passage, and I love the way that Paul describes it in this passage. We are therefore... Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, as though God is making his appeal through the preaching of the gospel with our breath, with our words. As people who have been reconciled to God, we are ambassadors. God is using us as his ambassadors. If you have been reconciled to God then you've signed up for this as well. You're an ambassador. So really, the only question that you need to ask is, what kind of ambassador will I be? The role of the ambassador is a great privilege and a great responsibility. We are ambassadors with the message of eternal life for the world. I mean, there could be no greater privilege than that, could there? We live in a country where most people know about God. Uh, They may even believe that God's there. When you see the latest census statistics, they say that it's still probably somewhere around 60% of Australians who actually acknowledge that there is a God who is knowable and personable. The problem is most people don't know where to look for God or worse still, they're looking for God in all the wrong places. But we've got the privilege of actually pointing them in the right direction, of helping them to know the one true God, the God who created this world, the God who loved us enough that he sent his son into the world to die for us. Jesus is the way that people can know God. Jesus is the way that people can be made right with God. Jesus is the way people can have eternal life. There's the other side of the coin. 
point, isn't there? I mean, that's the great privilege, but it's also a great responsibility. The day will come when this world will be judged. And when you read passages like this one, you realise the seriousness of not knowing God. This is what Paul says to the Thessalonians. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marvelled at among all those who have believed. There's a fair bit of weight in there, isn't there? That's the fate for those who do not know God, who have not come to that point of trusting Jesus. Now, in a sense, I want to say it's perfectly fair on God's part, isn't it? If people have said to God in this life, we want nothing to do with you, then God says, I shall give you an eternity of what you have asked for. Shut out from the presence of God. Because we know what it is to know God, we have this great responsibility. Because we know that we will be sharing in eternity with him. We need need to make sure that we feel the weight of that. And the basis for the judgment is not, have you tried hard enough, have you done enough? No, the basis for the judgment is really simple. Whether or not you know God through Jesus. When God judges this world, the judgment will be, do you know God? Jesus said the same thing. Jesus said that on the last day, on the day of judgment, there will be people who will come to him and will say this. Many will say to me on that last day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform miracles? And then I'll tell them plainly, and these would have to be the most chilling words in the entire Bible, I think. Imagine standing before Jesus on the last day and he says, I never knew you. Like, who who are you? And he'll say, away from me, you evildoers. They're not turned away because of what they have or haven't done. They're turned away because they don't know Jesus. They don't have a relationship with God. This is how Jesus describes eternal life. Uh, This is in the upper room just before he's about to go to the cross. He says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you. This is a prayer that he's actually praying to his heavenly father. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life gets summed up by Jesus as knowing God and knowing Jesus. Not doing good things for God or trying really hard for God. Just knowing God and knowing Jesus. It's a great privilege and a great responsibility to be ambassadors. If you are someone who has been reconciled to God, you've signed up. You're an ambassador. The only question is, what kind of ambassador will you be? So how do we do it? How do we fulfil that role as ambassadors? Well, I think Jesus says that the first and the most important way that you do it is with the life that you live. This is what Jesus says. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds 
and praise your Father in heaven. You'd like to think that people can look at your life and know that you're different because of the faith that you have in Jesus. To notice that you're not like everyone else. And that's what Jesus is saying. You should be shining like a light in this world. You'd like to think that people saw your values, your kindness, your compassion, your generosity, your concern, and know that you're like that because of your faith in Jesus. Knew a guy in Sydney who was a well-known surgeon, and he died uh, slightly young. Uh, I didn't have the opportunity to go to his funeral, but a mate of mine did. And he said the funeral was really interesting because there were people who got up and spoke about his Christian life and his involvement with the church. And when everyone walked outside afterwards, this mate of mine was standing outside in the kind of courtyard of the church, and there were all these people who had worked with this guy, and they said, that was amazing. I had no idea he was a Christian. That's a bit sad, isn't it? I mean, he'd worked most of his working career at the one hospital. And the people who were most close to him kind of day to day didn't know that he was a Christian. You'd like to think that the people who know you would know you well enough to know that your faith actually makes a significant difference in your life. It changes your values. It changes your attitudes. It changes how you spend your money. It changes how you relate to other people. But there also needs to be words. We need to make sure that we speak about what it is that we believe. For a lot of people that you know, you may be the only Christian that they know. That's increasingly the case in Australia when we have kind of probably less than 10% of people, maybe even closer to 5% of people involved in evangelical churches where you believe that the Bible's God's word and that you believe the gospel's important. You may be the only Christian that a whole lot of people know. So we need to be sure that we're in a position to be able to tell them about what it is that we believe or at least help them find out how it is that they can believe. Give them a good Christian book, invite them to an event at church or even just invite them to church. We need to help people to find out how to be reconciled to God. These are Paul's words to the Romans. How then can they call on the one that they haven't believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. See, we need to be ready to take that first step. For some people, the idea of sharing what we believe may make them feel like that they have to be Billy Graham or something. No, God's not asking for that. And you probably think to yourself, well, I could never do that. But the Bible doesn't say you have to be Billy Graham. You just have to be ready to tell people about the change in your life, the experience that you've had, what it means to you to be a Christian. I love these words from 1 Peter. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord... Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
but do this with gentleness and respect. See, there's nothing worse than sitting down with someone and they say, so how did you become a Christian? And you go, oh, gee, um, oh, you know, um, it's kind of complicated. Well, you need to think of a simple way of explaining it to them. Think about how you'd answer that question when someone asks. You don't have to answer every question about Christianity. You don't have to stand on the street corner and preach, but if you're comfortable doing that, please do. You just have to be ready to tell people about the hope that you have. Again, like Paul says, God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. I'm going to pray. Father, as we sit here now, we can think of those people who we know, family members, friends, workmates, who don't know you. And we pray, Father, that you would give us a heart for them, that we would want them to come to know and to trust in your son, Jesus. We want to pray that you would help us to be aware of the opportunities when they arise. Help us to be ready with an answer when people ask the question. When they say, what did you get up to on the weekend, that we'll be able to tell them that we went away with a church camp. Tell them about what happened. Tell them about what it means to be a Christian. Our Father, we know that opportunities present themselves all the time. Sometimes we don't have the courage to speak up, so we want to pray that your spirit would empower us to do that, to speak up at those times. But help us also to identify those times when they come that we might be able to be your witnesses, your ambassadors, that we might be able to help people to know more of what it means to place their trust in Jesus and to live for him. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Luke. What we're going to do now is um, continue thinking about how to put some of this into practice. And if you'd like to turn to your white pages again in the middle... Uh, you should have a blank page which has 10 tips for sharing Jesus uh, with friends and family and then uh, some blank spaces to be praying for people. And what I'm going to do, uh, similar to yesterday, is I'm going to share with you uh, 10 tips uh, initially, except I've got 11, and then what we're going to do is we're just going to talk together uh, in the kind of clusters of chairs where we are and you might want to add tips, so write small so you can add things. Uh, you might want to talk about how to put into practice some of the things that I suggest or that others uh, suggest. So here we go, uh, top 10 plus 1. The first thing I want to suggest to you is the importance of getting to know God more and more. Because I've noticed that people can speak endlessly about things they're passionate about. Uh, I'm sure that, Chris, you could talk endlessly about cycling in Europe. Uh, I'm sure that, uh, Rob, you could probably talk endlessly about ways to encourage teenagers who are going through tough times uh, and some of the issues there. Uh, I'm sure that uh, uh, as I go around the room, maybe Brett, you could talk endlessly about some of the things to do with flying or riding um, remote-controlled skateboards. 
Uh, I've met people who are so passionate about surfing, about skateboarding, about riding. And if you asked them to give a TED talk on the spot on that issue, they wouldn't have a problem. They could go for 20 minutes, no, no, no questions. Could we do the same thing about our relationship with God? Uh, and I suspect that for many of us, we'd find that difficult, but we'd probably only find it difficult because we haven't put in the same amount of mental energy into getting to know God and what it means to be a child of God and engaging with the things of God as we have with those particular hobbies and so on. Um, the, the thing I want to say is not to guilt us into anything, but to say that there's a world of opportunity there. And getting into the scriptures on your own in small groups at church is a great way to know more about what you're speaking about. Here's one especially for parents. You have a God-given opportunity to share Christ with your children. Uh, And if you're going to share Christ with your children, I think that there's a warning I'd give you uh, and there's an encouragement. The warning is... Our kids, in coming to understand God, need to know that it's a gospel of grace and forgiveness. Because it's very easy to communicate the knowledge of God and be a better child at the same time and confuse the gospel message. And so we model that by offering forgiveness to each other as as spouses. We model that in the forgiveness to our children and I think we need to know the kind of core uh, thread line of the Bible that it's a message of grace and forgiveness so that when we open our children's Bibles and as we read the scriptures together, we put it into that context. Uh, so bad behaviour that we read about in the Old Testament, isn't it good that God forgives those who return to him? So three... Spend time with people who aren't Christian. Uh, It's very difficult to share the gospel uh, with people who aren't Christians if you don't spend any time with them. And one of the difficulties in getting heavily involved in church, or one of the, uh, the risks associated with that, is that our life can be consumed with other believers. And so sometimes we think, well, I'm just not really in any meaningful relationship with someone who's not a Christian. Well, again, it's not too late. Uh, And I think work out where you can naturally connect with people who aren't Christian rather than starting by thinking, what do I need to do in addition to what I'm doing at the moment? We fail, I think, when we try and add uh, to our timetables what is unrealistic. I think, okay, now I've got to go and join that sports club or I've got to go and and join this reading group or I've, I've got to be a part of this particular club. Maybe you don't have the time to add anything. But think about the relationships that you've got in the normal course of life and work and recreation and how you can build on them. And here's a tip I picked up from uh, the Introducing God course, which is uh, another course a bit like Christianity Explored. Uh, The writer of that course, Dominic, says that the aim that we need to have with people as we... Uh, build relationships with them is to get the second date not the first the second date so when you're I'm not talking about going out with people here or nothing romantic in mind but when you just connect with people in one context right say 
Wilby, you might talk with someone at work on a regular basis, right? Someone who's not a Christian. Um, when you get the second date that's in a different context, so why don't we go out for a beer or why don't we have a coffee or would you like to come around for a barbecue that weekend? It's getting that different setting, that different context that changes the nature of your conversations. And uh, I, I know that when I was chaplain to the Brumbies, uh, when I was uh, catching up with players, which I did on a weekly basis around the sidelines and then around the gym, I'd rarely have a Christian conversation. But if I had the opportunity to have them over for a meal, or if I had the opportunity to go and get a coffee uh, in the refectory, or to do something that was different, and in, that, and in their case, get them away from the pack, then we could have a more meaningful conversation. Four. Um, Offer to read the Bible with somebody. Uh, Offer to read the Bible with somebody. Now, if, if you're wondering where to start, I would suggest you don't start with Genesis and work your way through to the end. Uh, but start perhaps in one of the Gospels. If there's one that you feel really comfortable in, maybe Mark, because we're doing that at church at the moment. Uh, see if someone would like to read the Bible with you. You think nobody would want to do that. Ask them. Uh, I keep hearing of people who are interested in reading the Bible with other people. In fact, here's an example of it. Uh, I think I mentioned this at church, but you may not have all heard me say this. I was at the Harley-Davidson dealer the other day, and Keith, who's an old British guy, uh, comes up to me and he says, Emily, because they live next door to Emily, Emily's reading the Bible with my partner. And I thought, that is awesome. Now, they're just met in the driveway. Emily's reading the Bible with my partner. Now, I failed at that point because what I should have said was, Keith, are you missing out? Do you want to read the Bible with me? And I didn't. Uh, but there's still time. Five, learn a simple summary of your faith, uh, of the gospel. Let, let, I'll say the gospel at this point. Learn a simple summary of the gospel. Uh, if someone said, what, what do you think is the, the core of of being Christian, or what is a Christian, how do you become one? Or, look, I've, I've only got a second or two, can you please just give me in a few words, what is a Christian, and how do I become a Christian? Now, I, you might never get asked that specifically, but if you've got a simple summary of your faith, then you've got a trajectory for conversation. My simple summary, I, I, I got from John Chapman, probably 30 years ago. Uh, it's God, and this is before we had to use... Um, gender neutral language it's God, man, God what if you do, what if you don't, five fingers God, God created the world and he created us and he wants to have a relationship with us but man, we decided we wanted to live without God so we turned our back upon him and lived as though God wasn't there and so we've come under the judgement of God God, God, man, God God desired to have a relationship with us still and so he's reached out to offer forgiveness and he's made that possible by sending Jesus to die on the cross to pay the price for our sin and by raising him to, to life so that we, if we put our trust in him, can have new life and forgiveness uh, and we'll be with him for eternity. If we don't, then we will be under his judgment for all eternity. God, man, God, what if you do, what if you don't? Simple. I also, at First Year University, learnt the two ways to live outline of the gospel. Uh, six panels with drawings. I very rarely used the drawings, but sometimes I found them very effective, particularly in cross-cultural communication. 
uh, with people for whom English is not their first language. Um, and there's lots of, well, at least there's a handful anyway, of good little summaries. It's helpful to learn. And related to this, um, uh, six point, it's actually helpful to be able to tell your story. So Luke was saying, um, you know, if someone asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have from uh, 1 Peter 3, if someone says, um, how did you become a Christian? How are you going to answer that? And uh, there's a couple of things that I'd recommend to you. One is that you have the, uh, the, the T-shirt answer, right? The answer that you could put on a T-shirt. Um, now, I've got one here. That is, there's two types of people in this world. One, those who can extrapolate from incomplete data. You've all got that? Yeah? Okay. Well, that, I mean, it's a T-shirt spiel. It's something that's quite simple. How did you become a Christian? Well, people told me that Jesus had died on the cross for me. He was raised again, and that makes a difference for all eternity, and I'm trusting in that. There's my T-shirt answer. But it's also helpful to have what you might call an elevator answer. Um, so you're in an elevator, right? It's a slow elevator. You're going up to the third floor. You know that you've got about two minutes. You can go into a little bit more detail, and you can answer a few more things that people might be kind of questioning. Um, now, I might say at that point, well, look, I, I grew up in a Christian home, but it wasn't until I left home and went to university where I was living independently from my parents that I had to work out whether what I'd always believed was true. And I had a bit of a crisis at that point. And so I investigated whether there's evidence for Jesus, whether he really lived, whether he died on the cross, or whether he was raised from the dead, and I found the evidence to be compelling. And I realised that I needed to put my trust in Jesus, not simply because I'd been born into a Christian family, but because Jesus is real and he died for me and he rose again and he's offering me life. There's my elevator spiel. Right? Now, it might be that you can go more than that. Say, look, I've got an hour to have coffee. Tell me your story. And at that point, you might want to actually engage them a lot more with their story as well. Uh, and it might be much more of a dialogue. So just thinking about that, there's a strategy. Uh, what are we up to? What number? Seven. Okay. Uh, seven, invite people to church. Uh, a friend of mine had a strategy for evangelism at church. And his strategy was simply this. 52 excellent Sundays to invite a person to church. Um, that was the plan. In other words, any week ought to be a good week. Now, if any week's going to be a good week, you need to be able to trust that some things are going to happen, don't you? You need to be able to trust that when you take your friend to church, it's going to be uh, a friendly experience for them, uh, that they're not going to be put on the spot and made to feel uncomfortable. And I think you need to be confident that the person who's going to be preaching is going to do it in a way that's going to be as accessible as possible to somebody who's not familiar with Christian things and which will get to the punchline of Jesus. Even if we're preaching on Leviticus or Numbers or Psalms or the book of Revelation. Uh, now, whose responsibility is that? All of us. We, we all take a, a role in being friendly and engaging and the preacher, which is usually me, I need to work at having a message 
that has in mind not just believers, but people who don't yet know Jesus. Um, and, and I want to suggest that, particularly given our demographic, inviting people to church is not just inviting people to church, it's thinking about families and our children's ministry as well. And saying, if you're making contact with people who've got young kids, uh, look, we, we take a lot of care of our kids. You know, we've, we've got people who've got uh, working with children checks. Uh, we, 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 uh, we make sure that, you know, there's good things happening, there's a safe environment, there's fun toys, it's a happy place to be. Kids enjoy being there. Uh, look, our kids will be there as well and they'll help your kids to feel comfortable and so forth. So just thinking about it, like if you were being invited to a place that you were unfamiliar with, what would help you to feel more comfortable uh, when you get there? Uh, number eight, invite people to watch Christianity Explored with you. Now, many of you, perhaps half or more of you, are actually at this moment working through the Christianity Explored six-week video series. And you can either get the DVDs, I've got three sets, or you can get the code to download them uh, onto your computers. And part of our aim in getting everyone to go through this, uh, as much as it helps us to dig into Mark's Gospel, is that we've all got a potential tool to be able to use. It could be the next door neighbours uh, expressing interest. And you say, look, I've got this little video series. Uh, it's really relaxed. Each one's only about 20 minutes or less. Uh, why don't you come over and have a coffee and we'll just we'll watch the first one, see what you think about it. If you're interested in what he's got to say, well, we can just keep doing it and we can fit around your schedule. Right? It's, it's the sort of thing that you could do in your home. Uh, now, we can do it big scale. We can put something on. We can, we can do it live if you like. We can be uh, doing it like they've had at the point they've had Somebody like uh, Jordan up the front kind of giving a spiel and then answering questions. We could do something like that as well and I'd be happy to be the one up the front doing that. But with Christianity Explored, you've got a tool. Um, uh, okay, this one might sound like a bit of a shameless plug, but give away copies of Hope Beyond Cure um, and follow up with people. Now, I don't get royalties from it, right? So I think that it's... A helpful way to introduce the gospel to people, particularly if they're struggling in life, whether it's health or in other ways. And maybe at this time of, of fears associated with the pandemic, then there might be opportunity there to point people. And you guys have the asset of, I know a bloke who's written, uh, I know him personally, um, you might want to read this. Uh, now, I used to do that with a book called A Fresh Start. Uh, how many of you have read or have got on your shelf A Fresh Start? Okay, all the older people have got it. Um, again, written by a guy called John Chapman. Uh, Chapo, I, I think, probably the most gifted evangelist I've ever met. Just a natural communicator, but he was crystal clear about the gospel of Jesus. And he wrote a book called A Fresh Start. And I had the privilege of working with him for 12 months. And in that 12 months, I remember reading or having read to us in staff meetings a whole bunch of short letters of people who become Christians uh, through reading A Fresh Start. And I think Chapo said at one stage that barely a week went past when he didn't get feedback that someone had become a Christian through reading it. So to have things like that in your toolkit, right, on your shelf, 
Now, I know others have used books like A Case for Christ uh, in a similar way to be able to give away. It talks about someone coming to grips with the gospel. Uh, Ten, um, <clears throat> welcome new people into your community. Welcome new people into your community. There is a massive influx into the Camden Haven area, uh, into the Port Macquarie area. Uh, some of you who are living on the edge of new housing areas will see removalist trucks all the time. Uh, we can be on the front foot when people's dance card is empty, that is they haven't yet built up their full set of friendships uh, to be able to reach out and say, look, I'm living down there, um, yeah, I'm six houses down the street, uh, I've just got a few things, uh, wanted to welcome you. Uh, here's some fruit, some uh, whatever it might be. And by the way, I go along to a local church if you might be interested in something like that. All right? uh, and then the last thing, I just wanted to share something that did happen, uh, a little bit different from our midst, which I thought was uh, a great personal initiative and to inspire you with that. And that is Hilton. Uh, he was here yesterday together with Liz and Gary uh, they advertised at the Ocean Club Resort, where they're living, in Lake Karai, uh, that there was going to be a session where I was sharing my story of, of uh, Hope Beyond Cure and got to speak to, I think it was about 20 guests there, and then an opportunity for Q&A, and that stimulated conversation. We had some people come to church after that. So... That's something that can be done in a community context. It might be uh, that you're mixing with a bunch of people in school or in the golf club or in the sailing club or wherever it might be. And I'll give you one foreign example from a previous church that I was at. There was a woman uh, at Stromlo Church, which is the last church I was a pastor at, who recognised one day that people were being invited along to Tupperware parties they were being invited along to Nutramedics parties. And so she invited all the parents of her kids' classmates to a God party. And the spiel was pretty much this. Uh, we've all gone along to these things to find out about eggs. Uh, we might not have thought that there could be uh, a friendly, happy, safe environment to talk about God. Uh, come along, there'll be stuff for the kids to do in the backyard and I've invited somebody to come and to say a few words and then to answer questions. And she got about 25 uh, parents along to her God party and they said to her, would you start up a kids club for our children? Because uh, she could see the way they were being looked after in the backyard. And so that was an ongoing opportunity. So there's some thoughts. Uh, what I think we'll do now is we'll just um, cluster where we are, maybe just in, not in two bigger groups, maybe three or four max, and just, you might have other suggestions or you might want to pick up on some of these uh, and we'll talk together and look to encourage each other as to what we might be able to do together. Go for it.